0: Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. That's what we're about here, Victory Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now today, we're going to go back to the early 60s. How many of you remember the early 60s? All right, let me tell you this. If you really remember the early 60s, you must be seriously old. Because we're talking about the original 60s. AD 60. So how many of you really remember those early 60s, huh? So <laughs> oh. in the year 8060, the Apostle Paul had been ministering in dozens of countries. He'd been sharing the gospel message. He'd been preaching, he'd been reaching people for Christ. He had helped start dozens of churches. He'd been in dozens of cities. He'd seen hundreds and thousands of people trust Christ. And then the Holy Spirit led him back to Jerusalem. All of his travels, he headed back to Jerusalem, and, and there he was arrested. And shortly after his arrest, there was a group of guys who decided they were going to kill Paul. Do you remember how many of them there were? Yeah, more than 40, the Scripture says. More than 40 guys who said they would neither eat or drink until Paul was dead. Now, since he lived for another couple dozen years, uh, they must have starved to death. Uh, But God delivered him. And the way God delivered him is Paul appealed to Rome. Instead of falling into this trap set by more than 40 guys. Now, I will tell you this. When I was in the Marine Corps, there was a guy who threatened to kill me. He was bigger than me, stronger than me. He threatened to kill me. And I took that very seriously. That was just one guy. Paul had a whole group of guys that were trying to kill him. So he appealed to Caesar, which is the equivalent of like appealing to the Supreme Court, except in the United States, when you appeal to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court gets to say, we'll listen to you or we won't. But in Rome, it then had to be heard at the high court in Rome. So now Paul is in Rome, he's been transported by ship, there was a shipwreck, there was all kinds of stuff that took place. He's in Rome, he's on house arrest. And so what they did on house arrest is they chained a guy to Paul. There was a Roman soldier chained to Paul and Paul stayed in a house and people could come and visit him and he could share the gospel and he could teach them and train them and he could write letters out to churches and he also could witness to the guards. And that led to a remarkable thing. The very people that Caesar put in place to make sure no one altered the worship of Caesar, the guys he sent there to make sure that would happen were the guys getting saved because of Paul. I picture every shift change, a guy would come in and Paul would say, we got some things to talk about. you know, And he led many of them to Christ. So all through Caesar's household, people were becoming believers. And Paul wrote a letter to a city in Colossae. And that letter went from Rome to Colossae. Go ahead and pop that map up so they can see that. Uh, There's where Colossae is in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. And Rome is Italy, which is now modern-day Italy, right? Okay, so he was in Rome and he wrote this letter. Now look at the distance there. That's a lot of miles to get that letter. And in their culture, they didn't have a postal delivery system. He had to send the letter with somebody and that person had to make the whole journey and get there and turn over the letter. But in Colossians chapter 2, Paul said he had never seen them. He said, for as many have not seen my face in the flesh. He had concern for them and he was praying for them, but he'd never actually been there. But he wrote this letter. To that church. He learned from Epaphras that some uh, false teachers were coming in and they were trying to corrupt the gospel message. And Paul wanted to make sure it was clear. He wanted to make sure they dealt with these issues. And so he wanted to stop those heretical teachers from having influence in the church. Now, in our day, if a false teacher comes into our church, then the deacons and I would remove that teacher from teaching. We actually had to do that once. Uh, But uh, in their day, the church was new. They didn't have this. So Paul was leaning in and he was trying to help this church and this group of believers so they could trust Christ accurately and appropriately. So we're going to look in uh, Colossians chapter 1, and uh, the Holy Spirit Preserve this letter so that we, it became a part of scriptures and we can learn from it just like they learned from it. <clears throat> and Paul wrote this letter to the people in Colossae, I, if I said Corinth, I'm sorry, Colossae, Colossians chapter one. Uh, we, he wrote it to them, the Holy Spirit preserved it and we can learn to follow the right path as well. So in your Bible, Colossians chapter 1, the first word is Paul. Now, when we write a letter, we usually start with dear whoever, whoever you're writing the letter to. Um, uh, Maybe you don't even put dear, you just put their name. You start with their name and you end with your name. Well, in their culture, because letters were often written on scrolls, And they weren't sheets of paper and you couldn't flip to the end of the letter real quickly or scan down to the bottom of the email. Some of you are looking at me like, letters? I read about those in history books, but I've never seen one. Uh, And so nowadays, we, we don't start with our own name. We start with the recipient's name. But in their day, they started with the person sending it because that was the first thing they'd see. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Paul is writing this letter. Timothy's helping, assisting in the writing of it, making sure it's recorded. And then he's sending it to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Now, some women... uh, come up with this brilliant idea that if the faithful brethren are the guys, then the saints must be the women. That's not actually what's happening here. We'll explain that in just a moment. Uh, But the Apostle Paul wrote this. Timothy partnered with him. He was an apostle called to serve Christ, called to the mission he was sent on by the will of God. Paul had no interest in Christianity until Jesus Christ reached out from heaven and touched Paul's heart and life. And then Christ commissioned him to be a missionary and an evangelist. And that's what Paul was doing. He was going around sharing the gospel, going around ministering to people, going around encouraging them. And now he's encouraging churches and he's writing to churches like the one in Colossae. So when he starts out in verse 2, to the saints. Now, where do saints come from? Well, there's a church that teaches about saints, and they teach it all wrong. So here's what they say you have to do to become a saint. They make a big deal out of promoting people to sainthood, and there's several things that are required in their life faulty belief system. You have to have been dead for five years or receive a special dispensation from the Pope to become a saint. That's the first thing. Secondly, you have to become a servant of God. Now, we would all desire to be servants of God, and so that's not a bad thing. Number three, you have to show proof of a life of heroic virtue by their limited definition of what heroic virtue looks like. And then fourth, you have to have verified miracles performed for people who have prayed to you after you died. Um, But you can bypass the miracle part if you're martyred. So that's what the, now listen, it, no matter how good a Bible teacher is, after that person dies, do not pray to them. The Bible's very clear. Jesus said, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son, and that's it. We don't pray to Mary. We don't pray to saints. So this is a corrupt teaching from a church that says they're following Christ but they're ignoring God's word in the process. See, the Bible presents a totally different path to sainthood. Here's what the Bible presents. Number one, you have to trust Jesus Christ as your savior. You have to trust Jesus Christ as your savior. That means you acknowledge that you're a sinner. You acknowledge the only chance of salvation is by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. According to Romans 3.23, how many people on earth have sinned? All have sinned. Everyone has. According to Romans 6.23, what do we deserve because of our sin? The wages of sin is death. But that verse doesn't end there. But... God brings salvation to us through Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. That's a wrong reference. Good verse, but a wrong reference. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, how does it start? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How much work does it take to receive a gift? How many hours do you have to work to receive a gift? How much money do you have to pay to receive a gift? None. You receive a gift through Jesus Christ. That's why kids can do this. That's why adults can do this. Anybody can receive a gift through Jesus Christ. We receive the gift of salvation. He went to the cross. He was sinless and he paid the penalty for your sins on the cross. The judgment for your sin was poured out on him on the cross. And if you will believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and you will confess Jesus as your Savior, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, then you'll be saved. And and you have to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Where do saints come from? According to the Bible, you have to trust Jesus Christ. But there's a second thing that sometimes gets overlooked by people. And that is, you have to follow Him. Not just receive Him, but follow Him. In Romans chapter 1 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul uses the same phrase. He said, you are called to be saints. So it's possible that someone can believe in Christ and not be a saint if they have genuinely received the gift of salvation, but then they've stopped following Jesus. So now they're not a saint, but they should get back on track. Does that make sense to you? Let's spell it out a little bit more. So uh, your saintliness is not decreed by a panel of experts. It's not simply a byproduct of your salvation. But it is as you trust and follow Jesus Christ. So how do we trust and follow him? You are trusting his leadership, listening to the Holy Spirit, studying, learning, and obeying the scripture, And trying to pattern our lives after his will. That's what following him is. So you know what? This coming Tuesday, you might be following Jesus. This coming Tuesday, you might be living as a saint. You might not. God wants you. You're called to be a saint. He desires you to. But it's not automatic just because you're a child of God. So what we have to do every day is decide, are we going to follow him or not? You know, it's not just like uh, August the 10th, 1976, about 10 o'clock at night, uh, uh, mountain daylight time, I was at youth camp and I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. It, that, that's not like, oh, I made the decision, I am good for the rest of my life. Jesus and I are like that. No, it's not always that way. I could sin this afternoon. So could you. We have to choose to follow him. We make choices that align with what he wants or that don't. How many of you ever had a car that was really seriously out of alignment? What would happen when you'd let go of the steering wheel? Yeah, whichever way the alignment was, you would sway that way. You'd have to tug it back. My brother had a Dodge Power Wagon truck and it, there was a serious problem and every now and then it lurched to the right and then he'd go to correct it and then it lurch to the left and to make a right-hand turn, you had to turn the steering wheel like this. And it, it, it was a disaster. It was a good thing he got rid of it. Actually, your son Phil remembers Gary's Power Wagon. But, but uh, you know, We have to be aligned. The most miserable experience I have ever had in my life was riding a motorcycle that was not aligned. And I had to keep popping a wheelie on the front end and swinging the running back to keep going down the road straight. Last time I rode that bike, I'll tell you that. But you and I need to be aligned with Christ learning the values that are important to him, and trying to make that part of our life. So how old do you have to be before you can become a saint? You don't have to be dead five years. You don't have to be dead at all. You don't have to be old and gray-haired or no-haired. You don't have to be old at all. You don't have to be an adult. You can be a kid. Every kid in this room and the ones who went to the other room, every one of them who has received Jesus Christ as Savior can be a saint if they will follow Christ. There's no age limit. There's no gender disparity. Men and women and boys and girls can be saints if we will trust and follow Jesus Christ. So when the Apostle Paul says to the saints and faithful brethren, he's not writing two separate categories. He's writing it this way for emphasis. Sainthood is not reserved for the faithful in heaven, but it is reserved for the faithful. The faithful believers in Colossae, in Coolidge, in Casa Grande, in Maricopa, the saints are those who trust And genuinely follow Jesus Christ so he's writing to these and then the first thing that he says to them in the middle of verse 2 what's the next word grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace always comes first now There's two terms that we use a lot in Christianity. One is mercy and one is grace. Now, mercy is not receiving what you deserve. So, you were bad, you deserve punishment. Mercy doesn't punish you. So, we deserved the punishment of our sins, but in God's mercy, He forgives us in Christ but then grace is giving us what we don't deserve. So, you don't deserve this, but it's a gift of God. So here's how it works. By mercy, God forgives your sin. By grace, He makes you His child. By mercy, He will not hold that sin against you ever again. By grace, He gives you the righteousness of Christ. By mercy, you're not going to hell. By grace, You're going to heaven. So grace has to come first before peace. You receive the grace of God. You receive the goodness of God before you get peace with God or the peace of God. If you are here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then the Bible actually says you're an enemy with God. You're fighting against what God wants to do. And he wants you to come into his family. He wants to welcome you in if you will trust and then follow Jesus Christ. So grace because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins when he died on the cross. Peace with God because he gives you the righteousness of Christ when you trust in him. And so then he says in verse 3, we give thanks. We give thanks. Thanks. And then he, he's going to write about several things here. So in verse 3, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he talks about praying. So first of all, thanks and pray. So we should praise, give praise to God and prayer to God every day. We, we do that as a church. The first Wednesday of every month, we meet together on Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. It's on the calendar for the first Wednesday in June, for the first Wednesday in July, for the first Wednesday in August, all the way through uh, till God leads us to change our plan or God calls us home. And the first Wednesday of every month, we'll be meeting together for praise and prayer. But did you know you can do it on your own? You can worship God All by yourself. The way some of you sing, that might be better. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Listen, when we sing to the Lord, we're supposed to just make a joyful noise to Him. He doesn't care how bad you sing. But honestly, if you think you sing really badly, don't sing really loudly. That's all. But still join in and sing with everybody. But you can worship God all on your own. You can praise him. This morning, I was out watering plants. Kathy's in Michigan meeting our youngest grandchild. I wasn't physically able to make the flight, so she went without me and uh, sent me a lovely picture, and we video chatted. Well, I didn't video chat with Susanna, but I did with the older two grandkids that can actually talk. Uh, but, but we. I wish I could have gone, but I couldn't go but one of her jobs, every day she goes out and waters her plants. And if it were me, we'd buy plastic plants. And we'd put them out there and they look good till they melted in the heat, and then we'd replace them, you know? But she likes growing things. She likes green things. Maybe I should be happy about that. But uh, she likes, so I'm out there with the water, I'm watering, and while I was out there watering, I thought, you know, this is a beautiful morning. It's going to be really hot when we leave here, but early this morning, it it just felt like a spring day almost. It was beautiful out there. And so I'm spraying this, you know, and while I hit this one bush, little things went flying off and I thought, God, I have no idea what those were, but you do. You probably even know them all by name. And... And we can worship God right where we are. Now, the neighbors were glad I didn't break into song about God, our Father, the great creator. They're they're glad I didn't do that. But I could worship him and see the beauty in the creation. In fact, Kathy was sharing a book that she had read recently. Somebody said that if you can't trust God's heart right now, you can't feel God's emotional presence with you. Look at the creation and it'll reconnect you with God. And so that's what I was doing this morning. And there's a little bird in a little tree that has a couple little eggs in the nest and the tree and the hole in the ground and the green grass, no, no green grass in Arizona. But, but we can praise God and we can pray to God anywhere we are. If you're driving your car, please pray with your eyes open but you can pray anywhere. Then he says, we're rejoicing. We're praying always for you and and rejoicing since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So he's rejoicing in their salvation. Now, isn't it exciting when people trust Christ as Savior? That was pretty cool that Aiden was talking about a couple of young people, college age, who trusted Christ and then got baptized as a testimony of their commitment to follow Christ. That's cool. Uh, Last month, we had several people get baptized right here, and we were excited to see them do that because we rejoice that they have trusted Christ. Now, Paul has never met these people. In chapter 2, he said that. He's never met met them, but he already knows they're his brothers and sisters in Christ. He knows they have this family connection. Larry and I were talking about being on a plane and striking up a conversation with somebody and they were a brother in Christ. And, and that by the time we got off the plane, we were like old friends. Why? Because we have the same heavenly father. I've experienced that. He's experienced that. That's great joy because we're going to spend eternity together. And then he's rejoicing about their love for all the saints. He says uh, in verse four, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Now, what does love for all the saints look like? See, we're not just part of this community of faith. We're part of the larger community of faith. So Kathy up in Michigan would normally be in church this morning, but there's Two sick kids there got colds, so grandma's getting exposed to some great germs to bring back. And, and, uh, but she stayed home with them so the daughter-in-law and son and, and baby could go to church together because anytime there's a sick kid, Meredith has to stay home, but not today. But we have brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. In fact, the first people that we're personally connected with who went to church today would be Solomon's family in Hyderabad, India. You can see them on the map back there. Uh, we've been supporting Solomon for years. We helped strengthen the church there. We've given special offerings to help with special projects there. And so right now, it's after 11 at night on Sunday night. For them, Joshua uh, Wambua in Kenya, he's 10 hours ahead of us. Jessica in Albania is nine hours ahead of us. Interestingly, so are the Belascos in Spain. In my brain, on the map, there's Spain way over here and, and there's Albania way over there, but they're in the exact same time zone. The ba- Babalolas in Nigeria are eight hours ahead. And these are friends and fellow laborers who were in church long before us today. In fact, the churches we help support in Australia, they met yesterday. Because it's already Monday in Australia. So they met on their Sunday, which was our Saturday. So we're in different time zones, radically different cultures, but we follow the same Lord and we're part of the same spiritual family. We love and care for one another and they are praying for us while we are praying for them. And God is at work here and there, whether it's CAC here, or Maricopa, or whether it's you being a witness for Christ every day, or it's the missions that we support from Alaska to Australia, God is at work. And then he rejoices about something here, verse 5, he says, because of the hope, so he's giving thanks and he's praising, and in part now, verse 5, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you have heard before of the word of the truth of the gospel, the hope of heaven. One of the blessings of being a pastor is, I, sorry, got tangled up on my hearing aid. I was getting a buzz, you weren't. Um, one of the blessings of being a pastor is being that able to, to help and encourage people in difficult times of life. You know, when I first became a pastor, somebody asked me, which is worse, weddings or funerals? And I said, well, I'd rather do a funeral than a wedding. And they said, why? And I said, well, in a wedding, everybody wants it to be perfect. But in a funeral, you're really blessing people in a significant time of their life. Well, that was when I first became a pastor. I've been a pastor for more than 30 years. I've done hundreds of memorial services. I'm tired of death. I'm tired of friends and loved ones dying. Having to say goodbye. We'll see them again. We know we'll see them in heaven. We know they're with the Lord. They're way better off. But what I would like is the way better off of all of us going up together. That would be great. It's hard to say goodbye. But we rejoice in the hope we have in heaven. Revelation describes some of the, Revelation 21, describes some of the things going on in heaven. What are the streets going to be made of in the holy city, New Jerusalem? Gold, so pure, it's almost translucent. Streets of gold. We got streets of potholes with a little asphalt in between. They're going to be streets of gold, no potholes. So what is God going to do about the tears that you experience once you get to heaven? He's going to wipe away all our tears. How many of you, well, don't raise your hand, but many of you live in pain every day. Uh, If you have arthritis, if you have some other, there's lots of issues that cause pain every day. For, For some of us, getting out of bed in the morning is a painful experience. Of course, it's better than not being able to get out of bed, but it still hurts. In heaven, no pain no sorrow, no death, no suffering, no sadness, no political commercials. (laughs) Had to throw that one in there. But there's going to be no more crying, no more pain. Every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. We will not experience so many of the things that are part of daily life on earth. And, and when you're going through pain and difficulty, just remember Jesus said that's the norm for life on earth. In this world, you will suffer persecution. That's what Jesus said. That's normal. Still unpleasant, still hurts, but it's normal. And so we need to realize that we have this awesome hope of heaven, and it's not just, gee, I hope it all works out, you know, I hope my team wins, I hope, no. This is a confident expectation because God, who has kept all the promises that he made since the beginning of time, he has also made this promise, and based on his history and his track record, we have confidence this is going to happen. See, it's, 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 let me give you a little illustration. Uh, what if you were in a sweepstakes and you got a letter from the sweepstakes company saying, congratulations, you're the winner. And they mail you airplane tickets to fly you all expense paid first class to New York City where you're going to receive $5 million. It's guaranteed, it's yours, here's your tickets, come and get it. Now see, that's the hope we have of heaven. We know we're going there. We know the transportation from here to there has already been prepaid. Jesus did that. We know when we get there, what we're going to receive. That's the hope we have of heaven. It's not just we stand outside the pearly gates and hope they let us in because we get in not because of what we have done but because of what Jesus has done and we received the gift of salvation. So we have this hope and we rejoice in that and Paul's rejoicing with these people he's never met rejoicing because they share the same hope and maybe they will be neighbors in heaven someday. Now, the end of verse 5 says, sorry, I need a drink. The end of verse 5 says, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. So the word of the truth of the gospel, it has come to you. This is how the word of the gospel comes to you. It comes all around the world. Now, could God speak from heaven and talk to every individual person on the planet? Yes, He's awesome, God. He could do it at the same time, talk to every person on the planet. But He has chosen not to do it that way. God has planned that those who receive Christ, the gift of salvation through Christ, and then follow Him, that they would then be missionaries telling other people about Him. So that we have this awesome opportunity and responsibility to talk about Christ. Last Sunday, we were talking about Jesus' prayer request, that the the harvest is plenteous, pray for more laborers in the harvest. And I encouraged you to witness to somebody this past week. I had the opportunity to share about Christ to two different people this past week, one of whom is a Christian, the other was interested but not ready to make a commitment of any kind, Uh, but they were intrigued by some of the things I shared from God's Word. Who knows, that person might talk to somebody else, and then somebody else, and they'll eventually trust Christ. We have an opportunity to share about Christ. Believers sharing the gospel with those who definitely need to hear it. Now, yesterday, uh, several of us were out at the splash pad. Well, I, I wasn't at the splash pad. I was in the dry part, watching the granddaughters have fun at the splash pad, and and uh, Evelyn and Aaron and their family, and they were there. And so their kids running around. And there were a bunch of other people. And there was a lady who was wearing a hat that said, I love Jesus. And she had a wagon load of books. There were some books for adults or CDs, uh, a couple of videos, and then some books for kids. And they were all Christian books. And she, had a, and she was taking her wagon around and she was offering them to everybody who was there because she loved Jesus and wanted to use it as an opportunity to talk with people about Christ. That was a great idea. I didn't have that idea. She did. It was a great idea. And I saw her talking with several people there. Did she have fruit? Was there a revival there? No. But see, our job is to be the witnesses. God's job is to bring forth the fruit. We sow and water He brings forth the increase. Paul described that in 1 Corinthians 3. So if we're going to be faithful brethren, if we're going to be saints, then we need to follow up and we need to share this truth. Um, when, When you and I witness for Christ, we run a big risk. We have the risk of social embarrassment. Oh, you know, there's people around the world today who are sharing Christ At the risk of their very lives, we can do this. God has given us this great opportunity. We talk to people about Christ because people need the Lord. Now, then he said, it brings forth fruit. As Jesus said last week, the harvest is plenteous. It brings forth fruit. God is working in hearts and lives of people. So there was a time if you're here and you have trusted Christ, there was a time when you hadn't. Nobody can say, well, I trusted Christ the day I was born. Nobody can say that. There was a time in your life where you heard the gospel message. You responded the gospel message. You believed and trusted in Christ. And there's other people out there who will hear the message, respond to the message, and believe and trust in Christ. So it brings forth fruit. God is bringing people to salvation. He's preparing people for it. And then he said, you had to hear, you had to learn of the truth. Somebody shared God's truths with you. Now, I was fortunate. I had parents who trusted Christ before I was born. Actually, when my mom was expecting me, she was planning to leave my dad because my dad was a drunk and a violent guy. He never beat my mom, but he was not emotionally kind. He was uh, emotionally abusive, even though he never physically hit her. And she was tired of living with a drunk and angry man. And she had already made plans after I was born Because dad was in the Air Force. So we're going to have the baby at the Air Force Hospital. And then she was going to move to California to move in with her parents. And take all four of them. I would have been kid number four. My mom was 22 years old. I was her fourth kid under age four. And mom just couldn't live like that anymore. But my dad met a pastor. That pastor kept talking to my dad. My dad finally went to church one Sunday. And he showed up and they were late. My dad hates to be late. He said, we're not going in. And my mom got out of the car and said, fine, you take care of the kids. Come back and pick me up later. Dad got out of the car and said, I ain't being alone with the kids. You know, The other three, you know, I was no problem because mom carried me. But, but they went into church and they heard the message and God spoke to their hearts and they repented. And I grew up in a home with a mom and dad who loved and followed Jesus, because somebody witnessed to my dad, he got his life right with Christ, and so I heard the gospel message all the time growing up. They made me go to church. We joke, used to joke about the drug problem in our family because they would drag us to Sunday school and they'd drug us to church, and they, well, yeah, mom didn't think it was funny. Dad and I thought it was. But some people, the very first time they hear the gospel message, they trust Christ. Some people have been hearing bits and pieces of it, and then you get to explain it more carefully and they'll trust Christ. But we all have to come to the place where we receive the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, every single one of us. And you can share his truth with others and maybe they will join God's family as those in Colossae did. Maybe they will later. Maybe in heaven you'll meet people who will come up to you and say, you may not remember me, but I remember you because you shared the gospel with me back in 1942. No, they, they, some of you were old, were alive back then. But, but listen, we're part of this great, big, huge, awesome work of God. It's going on all around us. And we have a little bitty part, but we have a part. And if we will do our part, God will do his part. Other people will do their part. Awesome things will take place. See, these people, they had a a church leader, probably when verse 7, he talks about Epaphras. As you have learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. So Epaphras was maybe like the lead pastor of the church there. They were learning from him and that he was a faithful minister to them. And he was a fellow servant with the apostle Paul. So he's probably a leader in the church there and he's helping and he's ministering and he's caring and he's declaring to Paul their love for the Lord, their love for Christ. The things of God, and he's declaring to the people there the truth of God's love for them. And so he's, they're sharing the same faith that Paul had, the same faith that Epaphras has, the same faith. They're working together to advance the cause of Christ. They lived out their faith with faithfulness, and that's exactly what God wants to see in us. That's what makes someone a saint. They have the faith they receive from God as a gift, and they have the faithfulness as they try and live out that faith. And that's what we can do. And we can do it at any age. We can start right where we are. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You just have a, have a heart for God and a heart for people. And then you can take God's two great loves for his word and his people. You can bring them together and God can do amazing things. So the Apostle Paul wrote this back in the early 60s, the first early 60s. But it's still just as true today and just as needed. So we're going to sing a a hymn called By Faith. Now we don't normally have an invitation where we ask you to come forward and make a decision. Although I did respond to that when I trusted Christ as my savior. But here's what we want you to do. Don't leave the property unless you know you have trusted Christ. And don't leave the property unless you've made a commitment that you're gonna try and follow him. You're gonna blow it sometimes. He's going to forgive you when you repent and then you get back up. The the goal is not to keep from ever falling because if your goal is to keep from ever falling, you never learn to walk, right? The goal is to get back up as many times as you fall down. Get back up. Press on. So today in your own heart and life, do you know Jesus Christ as Savior? If you don't, Talk to somebody here. Talk to me out in the courtyard. You can trust Christ. Have you received the faith and now are you trying to live in faithfulness? If you're not doing that, talk to somebody. We'll pray with you. We'll put you paired up in a Bible study to help you grow. So you're not stuck because Christ gives the opportunity for growth. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at VictoryArizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing Victory at VictoryArizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.